Heavenly Father, thank you for your word. Thank you that you speak to us clearly. Thank you for the book of Psalms. And we pray that as we uh, think about Psalms 1 and 2 this morning, that you would remind us afresh that your son, the Lord Jesus, he really is king. And we pray that our confidence would be in him. Amen. Well, have you ever been told to have your confidence in someone or something despite the fact that over and over again it fails to deliver the goods? Uh, a bit like following the South Sydney football team, wouldn't you reckon, Myrtle? Um, or those skin creams that uh, women buy and they have the promise that they can stall the ageing process, they can reduce wrinkles and yet what happens is we just get older and the wrinkles stay and if not, they multiply. Uh, This morning, we're starting a two-week introduction to the book of the Psalms and they open uh, with a reminder that the people of God are to have their confidence in God's appointed king, his world-dominating, all-conquering king. But it's not always easy, is it? Uh, Things happen to chip away at our confidence in him. There's plenty in our lives and in this world that can make it look like Jesus isn't in control. Uh, Tragedy, wickedness, uncertainty. And so having confidence in Jesus can sometimes feel misplaced. But God's reminder to us this morning is that the Lord Jesus has been enthroned as the ruler of all and so it is right that we have our confidence in him. More of that in a bit. Over the next two Sundays, uh, we're going to be looking uh, at the book of the Psalms and we're wanting to achieve two things. As we look at the Psalms, first, of course, we're just wanting to simply deal with the Word of God, aren't we? We're just wanting to hear the Word of God as it is, as we read Psalms 1 and 2, to deal with what God says and to tremble before His Word. We're also going to be trying to get something of an introduction to the Psalms as a whole, um, so that we can better appreciate the entire book. I'm, I'm hoping that we get a feel for what the Psalms teach us as a whole book. And to do these two things, we're going to look at the introduction to the book of Psalms uh, in the first two Psalms, Psalms 1 and 2. And then next week, we're going to look at the conclusion to the book of Psalms, the last five Psalms, to see how the book ends. And then along the way, we'll also get a feel for what comes in between. So let's hook into to, uh, Psalms 1 and 2. And the book opens uh, by introducing us to one of the main characters in the book of Psalms, the blessed man. So Psalm 1. And verse 1. Blessed is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked, or stand in the way of sinners, or sit in the seat of mockers. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. Right up front with the very beginning of uh, Psalm 1, we're introduced to the man, the blessed man, who doesn't associate with the wicked, but instead delights in the law of the Lord. Now, at this stage, we might be thinking that Psalm 1's talking about people in general. Uh, You know, uh, blessed is the man. In other words, blessed are people uh, who live like this. But as we keep reading Psalms 1 and 2, uh, it really is blessed is the man. It's about a specific person, someone in particular. When the police are on the hunt uh, for a criminal, they'll often put out a description Uh, of of the person they're looking for and appealing to the public for information. And so they tell us they're looking for a man in his 30s uh, with brown hair, slim build, Caucasian appearance, 
last seen wearing jeans. Now, that description appeals to a whole stack of people, doesn't it? It could be me. I could be the person they're looking for. Uh, But the police are actually looking for someone in particular. Now, Psalm 1 sounds like it might be about some people in general, but it's actually about someone in particular. And this someone doesn't walk with the wicked. He delights in the law of the Lord. He meditates on it day and night. And as a result, this man stands firm and he prospers, unlike the wicked who fall under the judgment of God. Have a look at verse 3. He is like a tree planted by streams of water, which yields its fruit in season and whose leaf does not wither. Whatever he does prospers. Not so the wicked. They are like chaff that the wind blows away. Therefore the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the assembly of the righteous. For the Lord watches over the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. So the man, whoever he is, is blessed by God, prospering and flourishing like a tree planted beside a stream of water, standing tall in abundance. Whereas the wicked, well, they fall. They're blown away like chaff. So who is this man? Who is this blessed man? Well, from Psalm 1 itself, it's actually a bit hard to tell. Unless you're familiar with some earlier parts of the Old Testament. Because Psalm 1 picks up on some significant and uh, earlier Old Testament passages. And they're passages that are all about the king of Israel. In Psalm 1, uh, the man meditates on the law of the Lord and is blessed by God. And in Deuteronomy 17, that's exactly what God says Israel's king is to be like. When God gave Israel instructions about their future king, he said this in Deuteronomy 17, a copy of the law is always to be with him, and he is to read it all the days of his life so that he may learn to revere the Lord his God and follow carefully all the words of this law and these decrees and not consider himself better than his others and turn from the law to the right or to the left, then he and his descendants will reign a long time over his kingdom in Israel. You see, the king was to be a man not turning from the law to the right or to the left and then he'll prosper with a long reign like the man of Psalm 1. Or again, uh, in 1 Kings chapter 2, uh, King David is about to die. And so he tells his son Solomon, this is what it means to be king. Solomon, this is what you need to hear. And this is what he says to him. I'm about to go the way of all the earth, he said. He's about to die. So be strong. Show yourself a man and observe what the Lord your God requires. Walk in his ways and keep his decrees and commands, his laws and requirements as written in the law of Moses, so that you may prosper in all you do and wherever you go. It's the same again in 1 Chronicles 22. The king is to be um, the man who meditates on the law of God, doesn't turn from it to the right or to the left, and then he'll prosper in all that he does as God's anointed king. And that's just like what we've just read in Psalm 1. Blessed is the man who meditates on the law of God, whatever he does prospers. The man is the king of Israel. And this is confirmed to us as we keep reading Psalms uh, into Psalm 2, because Psalm 2 is just an extension of Psalm 1. Uh, The same themes are in both, the same characters are in both, but in Psalm 2 we're given more detail. 
Uh, more detail about how exactly the king will be blessed. More detail about how the king does relate to God. Uh, more detail about how the wicked will fall under the judgment of God. So let's have a look. Psalm 2 and verse 1. Psalm 2 verse 1. And this time look for who falls under the judgment of God, just like the wicked did in Psalm 1. So Psalm 2 verse 1. Why do the nations conspire? And the peoples plot in vain. The kings of the earth take their stand, and the rulers gather together against the Lord and against his anointed one. Let us break their chains, they say, and throw off their feathers. The one enthroned in heaven laughs. The Lord scoffs at them. Then he rebukes them in his anger and terrifies them in his wrath, saying, I have installed my king on Zion, my holy hill. You see, the wicked who will fall under the judgment of God are the kings of the earth the rulers who take their stand against God and his king. Those who are opposed to God and his king, they'll be terrified at the wrath of God and rebuked in his anger. Whereas the king of Israel, God's anointed one, he'll prosper and be blessed, just like the man of Psalm 1. So we'll keep reading verse 7. The king then says in verse 7, I will proclaim the decree of the Lord... He said to me, you are my son. Today I've become your father. Ask of me and I'll make the nations your inheritance, the ends of the earth your possession. You'll rule them with an iron scepter. You will dash them to pieces like pottery. The king of Israel has been made or will be made the son of God. God will be his father. He'll be blessed with the nations as his inheritance. He will own the whole earth. He will prosper as the ruler of the world as he dashes his enemies to pieces like pottery. This king, he is the ruler of the world. He is strong and victorious. He stands tall like like a tree planted beside streams of water. He will bring God's judgment down on those who oppose him. And with God as his father, installed as the king over all the earth, assured by God of resounding and devastating victory over his enemies, God's king of Israel. He is one impressive figure. And so the psalm ends with a word of warning. Make sure you're on side with this king. Have a look at verse 10. Therefore, you kings, be wise, be warned, you rulers of the earth. Serve the Lord with fear and rejoice with trembling. Kiss the son, lest he be angry and you be destroyed in your way, for his wrath can flare up in a moment. Blessed are all who take refuge in him. To be on the wrong side of this king is to be destroyed by him in his wrath. He'll dash you to pieces like throwing pottery against the kitchen floor. But, as we read in verse 12, blessed are all who take refuge in him. The king is blessed and all who take refuge in him will be blessed along with him. And so take refuge in this king. Kiss the son. Rejoice with trembling. Serve the Lord with fear. There's a man who goes to the same church as my brother and his name's Barry and Barry lives with uh, two other single guys and uh, one day there was a knock on the door and the people were looking for Barry so uh, Barry got up and uh, went to the door but when he saw who it was uh, he felt his heart sink 
because there were two policemen wanting to speak with him. And his automatic first thoughts were, what have I done wrong? What have I done wrong? And so his stomach was in his mouth, his adrenaline was starting to rush. Uh, Have I parked my car in the wrong place? Did I go through a red light? Have I been speeding? Did I steal and not realise it? Uh, Barry was afraid of what might happen. First thoughts. Now Barry hadn't done anything wrong, so we can all rest easy, and the police were there for something completely different. But that automatic reaction of fear in their presence, fear of what the authorities can do, trembling before the ones with all the power, being at their mercy... That's what we're to be like with God's king. Because the one enthroned in heaven, he laughs. He scoffs at his enemies and then he rebukes them in his anger and he terrifies them in his wrath saying, I have installed my king on Zion, my holy hill. As we get to the end of Psalm 2, we are meant to tremble at the news of this king. And yet we're also left wondering... Where is this man? Where is this king? Because as we keep reading Psalms, the king, he looks anything but what we read in Psalms 1 and 2. This is the tension of the book of Psalms. Have a look at Psalm 3. Uh, It's also about the king. You see there, before you get to verse 1, there's this little note of explanation, a psalm of David when he fled from his son Absalom. That's actually really important. Uh, It's not been added in there later like the headings in our Bibles. Uh, These little introductions are part of the psalm and they help us to understand them. And Psalm 3 tells us it's of David. Uh, That just means it's either about King David directly or it's about the Davidic king in general. Remember, David was given promises by God. One of your sons will rule forever. uh, And one of his ancestors would actually live and rule forever. Well, after Psalm 2... 37 out of the next 39 psalms are all of David. They are all about this king, the king of Israel. And there's heaps more in the book of Psalms as well. Psalms 1 and 2 introduce us to the book as a whole by introducing us to the king, the king of Israel. Now, Psalm 2 also introduces us to all the main characters in the book of Psalms. You've got the Lord, you've got the king, you've got the the enemies of the Lord and his king, you've got the people who take refuge in the king, but front and centre in the book of Psalms is the king of Israel. Now, I'm guessing that me talking about the book of Psalms with uh, main characters and themes and tensions, uh, that, that actually is probably a little bit of a new idea for some of us. Uh, Most of us, as we read the Psalms, we we just sort of dip in and out of them in more or less random order. And there's a few good reasons why we feel at ease doing this in the Psalms. We can do that. But we wouldn't jump straight into the middle of, say, the book of Exodus or the book of Mark or the book of Ephesians or a book you borrow from the town library because, you know, there's action that's come before and just can't jump in the middle, otherwise you don't know what's going on. And so if you want to understand what you're reading, you've got to read what comes first. Well, it's actually the same in the book of Psalms. There's an ebb and a flow to the book as a whole and we do well to read the Psalms in order and not just dip in and out of them because the book of Psalms, it's got a message to say and its introduction is all about the king, the glorious, blessed, all-conquering, world-dominating king of Israel. Well, at least that's how the Psalm starts. Uh, The book takes an unexpected twist right from the very beginning of Psalm 3. Have a look. The mighty, all-conquering king says in Psalm 3, verse 1, 
O Lord, how many are my foes, how many rise up against me, many are saying of me, God will not deliver him. We'll go to the beginning of verse 4. It's another of David's psalm, another psalm of the king, Psalm 4. Verse 1, answer me when I call to you, O my righteous God. Give me relief from my distress. Be merciful to me and hear my prayer. Or again, the beginning of uh, Psalm 6, again, another psalm of David. It's about the king. Psalm 6, O Lord, do not rebuke me in your anger or discipline me in your wrath. Be merciful to me, Lord, for I am faint. O Lord, heal me, for my bones are in agony. My soul is in anguish. How long, O Lord, how long? The all-powerful, all-conquering King of Israel in Psalms 1 and 2 has become the desperate, lamenting, anguished King right from the beginning of Psalm 3. And if we keep reading the Psalms, it just gets worse. Uh, This King is forsaken by God. He walks through the valley of the shadow of death. He's beaten and crushed. All through it, he remains confident that God will deliver him. But given Psalms 1 and 2, we are not expecting these psalms of lament and anguish. Instead of dashing the wicked to pieces, the king is suffering at the hand of the wicked. And so as we begin to read the psalms, we're wondering, where is this king? And at the time of the psalms, Old Testament Israel was wondering the same thing. Where is our king? As you look into Israel's history in the Old Testament, there's a couple of mighty kings, David, Solomon, Josiah, but they all fail. They don't all follow the Lord with all their heart. They don't prosper in everything they do. In fact, they suffer at the hands of their enemies. They're beaten and they're exiled. The king is taken into captivity. And so Israel's asking, where is the man? Where is our king? And Psalms 1 and 2 were written originally to remind Old Testament Israel that their promised king would come. That despite the trouble of their enemies, their persecution and their devastation, despite appearances, their king would come and he would triumph and he would rule over all the world. And so Psalms 1 and 2 brought great comfort, but they also left people hanging. Where is the king? And of course the earth-shattering news of the New Testament is that in Jesus of Nazareth, this king has come. Jesus is the Christ. He's the anointed one of God. He's been installed as the king of all the earth with the ends of the earth as his possession. Now turn across with me, please, to Mark chapter 8. Mark chapter 8. Here for the first time, the first time in Mark's gospel, Jesus is acknowledged to be the Christ, the king, uh, the anointed one of God. And as soon as the disciples finally latch on to this amazing truth that Jesus really is the king, this king, Jesus then immediately tells them, yes, that means I must suffer, just like the kings in the book of Psalms. So Mark 8, verse 29. Verse 29. Jesus is speaking. He says, but what about you, he asked. He's talking to his disciples. What about you? Who do you say I am? Peter answered, you are the Christ. Jesus warned them not to tell anyone about him. He then began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders, chief priests and teachers of the law and that he must be killed and after three days rise again. He spoke plainly about this and Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. 
And one reason why Peter rebuked Jesus was because he didn't yet understand the book of Psalms. All through the Psalms, the Christ, the anointed king of Israel, he suffers. And Jesus is the Christ. And so, as he says, he must therefore suffer and be rejected and even killed before rising from the dead. It's suffering first for the Christ, then glory. And so with his death and resurrection behind him, with his suffering behind him, uh, turn back just a few pages to Matthew 28, last chapter of Matthew. With his suffering over, he's been resurrected from the dead. He's about to return to his father. And just before he goes back into heaven, he says this to his disciples, Matthew 28 and verse 18 Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son of the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. And surely I'm with you always to the very end of the age. You see, the Lord Jesus has been installed by God as king over all the earth. The Lord Jesus right now rules all the world. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to him. He's the king, the blessed man, the Christ of Psalms 1 and 2. The nations are but his inheritance. The ends of the earth are his possession. This king of Israel is the ruler of all the earth and blessed are all who take refuge in him. And so in the words of Psalm 2, we are to kiss the sun. We're to serve the Lord with fear. We're to rejoice with trembling. We're to take refuge in the king. It's a picture of willing submission to this king, the Lord Jesus Christ. Our acts of hostility against him are to cease. Let your quarrels against him terminate. Let go of your dissatisfaction of not being allowed to run your life. Give up on the pretension that you can compete with this king. Quit haggling with him. Don't bargain with him as to who will have control of your life, serve the Lord with fear. Rejoice with trembling. Come meekly to his throne in agreement with him to be reconciled to him, to acknowledge his rule. Like a defeated soldier, tread carefully into the throne room of the one who has conquered you. Kiss the son, kiss his royal signet ring, Acknowledge his crown and his might and his victory and beg for mercy. Because blessed are all who take refuge in the king. The Lord Jesus Christ at this time, he will not dash you to pieces like pottery. Bow before his throne now and he will not destroy you in your way. Seek refuge in him now and you will be blessed. You'll be forgiven of your challenge to his rule. He'll allow you to serve alongside all of his other people. You can right now come safely under his command and care. And look, just in case you're sitting there this morning and you're taking this lightly, I don't speak to you this morning as someone who has an opinion 
about this king, I come to you this morning with the very words and the very charge of God that he has installed his king, the Lord Jesus, reigns supreme. He is risen from the dead. He has all authority in heaven and on earth. And this king says, Blessed are all who take refuge in me. So let your quarrel cease. Terminate your hostility. Let go of your dissatisfaction. Give up on your pretension and quit trying to bargain. Serve the Lord with fear. Rejoice with trembling. Take refuge in the King. Because blessed are all who take refuge in him. Now praise God, many of us here have already done that. Many of us now live in the glad service of this King, willing to obey and to follow And every moment of our lives, isn't it, is in glad, humble submission to the complete authority of the Lord Jesus. From the moment we wake up each day, deciding what we're going to wear and how we're going to wear it, how we speak to each other over the breakfast table, what things you decide to do with your children at home while everyone else goes off to school or work, how you speak to your children, what conversations you have on the way to school or on the way to work, what songs you listen to on the radio, what paper or magazine that you buy from the newsagents, how you behave in the classroom, what you say to your boss, how you react to the ridicule that comes your way when people uh, ridicule you for telling them about Jesus, how you deal with the frustrations of your day when you come home, what TV programs you decide to watch at night, what time you decide to go to bed. Every moment of every day is in glad, humble submission to the authority of our Lord Jesus Christ. But sometimes that can be hard, can't it? It can be tiring, confusing, and for a whole stack of reasons. But the one I want to focus on this morning, just quickly, is that constantly serving the king can be hard and tiring because sometimes it just doesn't look like he's king. Like for Old Testament Israel, as they looked on their king being beaten up and opposed and even defeated, he didn't look like the king of Psalms 1 and 2. Where's this king? Sometimes you and I can feel the same way, can't we? It can feel like our confidence in Jesus is misplaced. We've never seen the Lord We hear of his promises that he's going to come back, but it's been 2,000 years. All the suffering that goes on in this world, the crimes against humanity, uh, the human slaughter of genocide. Is Jesus really in control? Is he really ruling over the world, dashing his enemies to pieces? Or even a bit closer to home. There's the tragedies that have troubled us in our own lives. The, The sudden loss of a loved one. The collapse of a business the hurtling finality of cancer, the lifelong torment of an illness or a condition, the pain of watching others go through the same. When we look out on the world, it can seem as if God and his king, they're not in control. Psalms 1 and 2 were written to bring us comfort, just like they did for Old Testament Israel. The world around us might not look like that God and his king are in in control, but these opening psalms remind us that God promised that he would send his king. In the Lord Jesus, this king has arrived and our confidence is not misplaced because God has installed his king. That day he was crucified and risen from the dead for the sins of the world. He rules the world right now. He is wielding 
all things to make sure he saves his people. He is orchestrating right now every facet of human history to make sure that his name is glorified and honoured and that his people will share in that glory. And the day is coming, of course, when the Lord Jesus will return and he'll finally and fully crush his enemies and he will gather his people before him. And so, brothers and sisters, let's always serve the Lord with fear. Let's rejoice with trembling. Let's have our confidence firmly in him because blessed are all who take refuge in the King, our Lord Jesus. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word to us in Psalm 1 and 2. Thank you for your King. Thank you for the Lord Jesus, the true King of Israel, the King of the entire world. And Father, we are so grateful that blessed are all who take refuge in him. And so we pray that our lives, we would always serve you. We would rejoice with trembling. We would take refuge in your son for the forgiveness of our sins, for how to live this life, for security in eternity. Father, please always give us clarity of mind that we would always take refuge in your son. And so, Father, when life is hard and tricky, tiring and confusing, Father, please we pray that our confidence would always be in the Lord Jesus Christ, for we acknowledge him now truly as the king of the world and the king of us, and we are glad to be his servants. And we pray this, that we might bring him honour and praise now and forever. Amen. Well, at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow and every, will t- every tongue will confess. Let's stand and sing and then please share some morning tea and encourage each other to keep bending the knee before his throne.